If you've been in the marketing world for any amount of time, you probably look at P&G as one of the places you would love to get a job at. Nowadays, people think, eh, I'm not sure, doesn't seem that great, and they're kind of vanilla. Things are changing in the CPG world. Is your brand keeping up with this changing marketing landscape? Lynn Power talks about all the ways she's selling and about the collective she has organized to help other like-minded brands sell on similar platforms. Lynn walks us through her entrepreneurial journey and how she went from the CEO of a large New York ad agency to forming her own brand with a partner. Lynn describes how she went from founding a great brand to battling cancer and launching a successful product. Talk Commerce is sponsored by Haifa, or as the Europeans say, Hufa, or the right way to say it, Hufa is rapidly becoming the biggest Magento front end after Luma. For those who don't know it, Luma is the basic theme that comes with Magento and it is giantly slow. If you're looking for a template-based front end with the fastest loading times in the e-commerce industry while saving costs on development time and hosting infrastructure, Hufa is your best option. Everybody loves a fast site, including Google. Improve your Google ranking and conversion rates and make your customers happy. Learn more at hyva.io. That's hyva.io. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. And now, talk commerce. Welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today, I have Lynn Power. Lynn is the co-founder and CEO of Massimi. Lynn, go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us your day-to-day role, and maybe one of your passions in life. Hi, Brent. It's so great to be here and lovely chatting. Um, so yeah, I, I'm the, I'm the co-founder of, of Masami. We're Queen Premium Hair Care. Um, I'm sitting here, um, in the Berkshires, which is just north of New York City. Um, and let's see, passions in life. I would say, boy, my dog. That's my dog, my business, my family. That's kind of all I have time for, <laughs> sadly enough. Yeah, so it sounds fairly fair. I have two dogs. I have a, We have a new dog, a Jack Russell Terrier, and we have an old dog, a, like a, a hound, a lab hound. And um, uh, they, they're definitely consuming. The Jack Russell is like, it's like a little atomic bomb. Like the older dog runs and has lots of energy, but the little dog has... Uh, I'm going to say one million times more energy than <laughs> than the lab does. So, yes, oh, uh, that's awesome. He's a, and he's a travel sized dog. So we're working on we've we've traveled around the country. Uh, he's you know he's 15 pounds and fits underneath the seat. So yep, and does quite well. So um, um, yeah. Anyways, we can talk about more about dogs later. But anyways, <laughs> um, before we get started into our content today, we're going to talk about um, your journey going, starting and going through your company and things like that. But before we do that, I have a project called the Free Joke Project, and I'm just going to tell you a joke. And all you do is say, "Is that joke free, or can we charge for it?" Okay. Here we go. If you watch an Apple Store get robbed, are you an eyewitness? <laughs> 
Okay, I would say free. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on that one. It was, um, it was a little bit lame. I mean, it, it was it, it it's good, but it's yeah, it's <laughs> um, a borderline dad joke. Yeah, they're all dad jokes. I have to admit to that up front. Uh, they are dad jokes, and I am a dad, and my kid, they are cringeworthy. So I, I do judge it by the amount. And my son, who my kids are older, but they both, my son now has taken on, and he at the company he works at, they found they find him quite funny, which I find quite rewarding because my kids don't find me funny at all. But let's let's talk about Massimi. Tell us a little bit about why you started it and well, let's back up tell us about what it is and 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 why you started it okay so so masami is clean premium hair care it has a japanese ocean botanical that gives you weightless hydration which sounds like a contradiction um it's actually really hard to make it weightless and hydrating but we figured out how to do it my co-founder spent about 10 years working on the formulas which is a little insane, um, but that just shows his depth of commitment and passion to doing clean hair care, which is which is great because uh, yeah. Um, but I actually spent um, my career in advertising. I spent 30 years. Um, I want to say I started in, in. It was still kind of the Mad Men era. <laughs> I'm that old, my God, but. Um, yeah, I, I I was I started my first job before um, there was the internet, so uh, there's that. And then um, I I ended up running large ad agencies. And my last job, I was the CEO of an agency called J. Walter Thompson. I was I ran their headquarter office in New York, and. Um, as much as I loved advertising, um, I didn't love the bureaucracy that comes along with being the CEO. <laughs> that was not for me uh, the fun part of the job. Um, people always think it's like so glamorous, right? Like you're with this big ad agency and you must meet celebrities and just have so much fun going to Cannes. And it's like, you know, there's a very tiny amount of that and most of it is dealing with finance and HR and accounting and not, no, I'm not trying to denigrate any of my accounting friends or my HR friends. Those are important roles, but it was not my jam. Anyway, long, long, long winded way of saying I wanted to leave and find something that was more inspirational for me. And sometimes the universe presents you with things and you just need to embrace them. And in my case, I left in April of 2018, and in June, I met my co-founder, James. And he'd been working for 10 years, as I mentioned, on our formulas, and he finally got them to a point where he felt like they're, they're almost ready for prime time. And his expertise is really on the formulations and finding the, this cool ingredient and putting it together. He doesn't know how to commercialize the business, so that's where that's where I came in. So it's a really, really nice partnership because we have very different skill sets, and we really like each other. Um, our company is actually named, the branding is actually named after his husband, Masa, Masahiro, who's Japanese, and Masahiro is the one that introduced us to our hero ingredient, 
Mikabu, because he's from a little town in Japan called Atsushi. Atsushi. I have to say it correctly. Atsushi. Uh, I've actually been there. Um, and um, when we were thinking about what to call the brand, we had one of those goosebump moments where we were talking about how Masa has been our muse. And we're like, well, let's do something with his name. And then Masami was like, well, what, what does that mean in Japanese? Oh, my God, it means truly beautiful. That's awesome. It was like, what? And then, wait, the trademark's available? What? So sometimes when those things line up like that, you're like, okay, this is meant to be. Yeah, so what, What? Um, I, I guess besides the challenge of having a partner and, and making sure that you're getting along. What, what are some of the other challenges that we've gone through to, to sort of scale it, to get, get some traction and things like that? Yeah. Well, the partner one, we could probably do a whole podcast on cause I've had a consulting business with a partner. I've had to build a lot of teams in my advertising career. It's not that easy and people make a lot of mistakes. Um, and the problem is when you're small and you're a startup, if you don't have a good partner, it literally will kill you because it's life-sucking. But anyway, like I said, that's a whole different podcast. Um, I mean, we launched in February of um, 2020, so the obvious challenge there was it was a month before COVID, and we were in New York City at New York Fashion Week. We had two shows launching a brand. Little did we know what was in store for us. A lot of our business plan revolved around salons, and partnering with salons, and obviously that went out the window because a lot of salons were closed for most or part of that year, and then even into 2021. Um, another challenge was that last year I got breast cancer. That was like a nice, um, a nice surprise. Um, and let's see, that was in July. I went through a year of treatment, um, and I'm now, knock on wood. Um, you know, they don't like to, doctors don't like to say you're cured ever, but you're, but I'm cancer free for the time being is how my doctor puts it, um, which is great. Um, but the, the other challenge other than going through chemo and treatment and feeling like crap and all that was that I was a hair care founder with no hair for like nine months. I was bald. Um, and I also looked like an alien cause I had no eyebrows. I had no eyelashes. Like it was not it was not a good look. So that was a little bit interesting. I had to basically, you know, be off camera for a big chunk of that. And then, you know, you always have people that are like, well, why aren't you, well, you know, Hey Lynn, your camera's not on. I'm like, I know it's not on. Why isn't it? You know? And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> so, um, I think now people are better about Zoom etiquette. It's like they don't, like I find people don't do that as much because I think people realize, okay, if somebody doesn't want to be on camera, there's a reason they don't want to be on camera. Like, you know, they're in bed or, you know, it's like they haven't shot, whatever. It's like, and it's okay. Let people do their thing. Um, but anyway, so that was a big challenge. Um, but now that I'm kind of reengaging and I can get out there and do stuff again, I think when we met, I was actually in San Francisco at TechCrunch at another conference, and we met at Shop Talk, I think. And so it's it's good to just feel like energized um, and be able to try to make things happen. Do you think um, so? Just going going back to the energy part and and kind of talking about 
about the cancer. Um, is there a piece that that you felt that you held on to that drove you forward? Did that, that it help you get through some of that, or was it? I mean, I know I, I can't. I've never had cancer. My sister is twenty years free of cancer now, but mm. um, is there? Do you feel as though there's something that helped you drive through that, or did you put the business on on hold for some time and then move to the next stage? Yeah, I mean, I I worked the whole time, but I had to reprioritize because I didn't have the energy that I normally have. And my husband will say I'm usually like 150%. And I was at like, and he jokes with people saying, oh, yeah, she was only at like 95% during cancer. But for me, it was a big difference. But what I found the good thing of cancer is it forces you to do the things that you really enjoy and get rid of the things you don't enjoy. Or even from a business standpoint, like focus on the things that are working and stop banging your head against the wall on the things that aren't working And it gives you time to reflect on some of those things because sometimes as an entrepreneur, you're so in the weeds and you're just trying to survive day to day that you don't lift yourself up and look around and and make those observations. So that year for me was incredibly difficult, but also a lot very rewarding in that sense because it allowed me to kind of reprioritize, reset, and also reframe success because if we all listen to VCs, you know, if you're not growing 10 times, tenfold year over year, you're a failure, right? Um, but um, I just had to be really pragmatic about it and think, you know what? If we're growing, even if it's only a dollar year over year, I'm going to take it. Like, that's growth. And as long as we're moving in the right direction, it can be slower than I want, but I'm not going to beat myself up over that because. There's so many startups that fail. I don't know if you saw the Shopify report. There's been some articles about their stock, right? Yes. About how many businesses on Shopify don't last beyond six months, a year. It's crazy. It's crazy, the majority, right? So, like, part of a job of a startup is to – this is a quote by somebody famous. I can't remember who. But it's basically um, to stay in business long enough to get lucky, survive long enough to get lucky. And I do think that's true. It's like you just kind of have to make it work. And um, and sometimes it means doing it a little differently. And like I said, sometimes it's sort of like, okay, we didn't um, double our growth this year, but you know what? We're still in business and I'm going to, and that's okay. Yeah. It's kind of like that, the idea that you need to test in marketing. You need to test all the time. You need to do AB testing. And some, at some point you're going to come across what really works. I like what you said about being able to focus. I know that in the EOS world or the, uh, they're the operating, there's a operating system called EOS that, um, that there's a shiny object thing that takes you away from it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other composite of, of working on your business rather than working in your business. So, kind of taking that 10,000 foot view to see what's happening. Um, when, when you were, when you were, when you're going into the journey, do you bring in other people that, that help you to sort of pull back and kind of see what's happening in the bigger picture? So you, you're not stuck in the weeds and maybe somebody else has a thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of resources. First of all, my husband was in the business too. So from a marketing and business perspective, he's always a good sounding board, and then, um, you know, my business partner, partner James, 
was really helpful for me as, as was Kristen who works with me. She does all of our brand content and partnerships. She's a high school friend of mine because they both took on more stuff when I was going through my treatment, um, stuff that they weren't even comfortable doing. Like I was sending them to trade shows and do, you know, and, but they were doing it because they just were, they just were, you know, committed to trying to help the business. But it also allowed me to realize like, you know, I don't have to do it all. Um, and everyone may do it differently and they may do it differently than me. That's okay. Like there's certain things that's worth me leaning in heavier on and other things that it's just not. So that was useful from that exercise also. But the other resource I have is I've built a really strong network of peers and those people are really great gut checks. Um, so what I did when I was going through chemo, actually, I launched a pop-up store. And the reason I did that is because when I looked at what was working on my business and I was going through this sort of self-reflection, the obvious um, bright spot in all this crap was the brand partnerships we've done. And I think companies and brands underestimate the power of these partnerships to A, grow your business, B, act as a resource, See, share ideas and marketing. Like there's so many things you can get out of these partnerships. So um, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, wow, those really have helped our business dramatically because we've been able to grow our client base organically with the right kind of customers because I'm partnering with other clean beauty brands. And that that's amazing. And so I launched this pop-up store called Conscious Beauty Collective. We launched in San Francisco in April. We were there three months and now we just moved to Natick Mall, which is outside of Boston. Um, and um, having those founders, there's 32, by the way, so including my brand. But having those founders to be able to say, hey, has anyone made Facebook advertising work? Is it me? Am I crazy? And when everyone's like, no, 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 none of us. So then it's like, okay, well, if 32 of us haven't made it work, then you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to keep killing myself. So, you know, it, and even things like, hey, you know, what affiliate uh, marketing program do you guys use? Hey, what somebody today just emailed and they were like, hey, does anybody have any resources for dis distributors, you know, for spas? Like just, just that kind of stuff, like really pragmatic, but it's so helpful to shortcut things. And then, so your point about the bigger picture, when you have those resources and the peers, it does allow you to kind of occasionally ask those questions of each other. It's like, okay, how, how is like your business actually doing? I mean, how do you feel? I mean, I have these fascinating conversations and we just really are open and we compare notes, right? It's like, here's the size of my business. Here's where I'm getting traction. Here's why I'm not like, and people are like, yeah, like, and the similarities are also astounding. Maybe it's because we're all small, we're all indie brands, you know, none of us have outside investment really. So it's like we're all kind of scrapping it out. So, Yeah, that's awesome. I'm in a group called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, there's there's a chapter in New York. Uh, same concept. We, we have a group of, there's nine of us that meet every month and uh, we've been doing it. Uh, some of our, our, our group has, have been doing it for 20 years. I've only been doing yep. it for seven, but... Same type of thing where we... we only seven? <laughs> I mean, seven years is commendable. But anyway. Uh, yeah, so um, 
um, same concept where, and we don't shoot on anybody. Nobody says you should do this. You could do well, this. It's always about, here's my experience doing that. So similar to what you just said. Um, it gives you a chance to, um, bounce ideas off of people. We, we, we do lightning round things. And, and one of the things we do in, in every one of our meetings is we do what we call them a deep dive now where you can present on any topic. It could be something you do, you want to do new or some issue you're having within your business. And uh, and the other thing is in our group, none of us are, are in the same space. There's no nobody possible competitor. But EO Network has 15,000 members and they have um, industry groups. So for you, it would be somebody in the in the uh, um, um, makeup or fashion, not fashion, but in the hair care, sorry, yeah, <laughs> in that yeah. industry. Uh, so I would be in the technology or, or even there's a there's an e-commerce channel anyways. So I, I think that the, I think so many there, there's so many entrepreneurs that live their life in a bubble and they don't ask mm-hmm. a lot of questions to other people. Because as I, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. Am I that old? Yes, 30 years this yeah. year. Wow. All right. 30 mm-hmm. years. Um, uh, I, for the longest time, thought I knew everything and didn't need anybody's help. And, and it took me, you know, 10 years ago to realize that, no, I, this is this is a great way to, to get some of that in, extra information. Or, or not extra information, just some other perspectives, I think. Going back to marketing, A/B testing. Yeah. You're never going to know exactly. until you know. If you don't try, if you if you just keep it within yourself. Um, going back to if we take out COVID, uh, what would be one of your biggest surprises that you've had building yeah. your brand? Um, I mean, I'm I'm definitely surprised at at the consumer reaction to our products. I mean, I knew our products were good. Okay, like. I believed in them. I've worked in hair care for years. My partner, co-founders worked in hair care for years. But you never really know until somebody's willing to spend their hard-earned cash, right? <laughs> That's different. And and talking to friends and family is also like you got to take that with a grain of salt. Anyone who does that as their sort of market research, you may not be getting the whole truth from people. Um, but when strangers buy your product and they love it and they keep buying it, that to me is like, oh my God, like that's just really interesting and rewarding. The other surprise I would say is just, it's not really a surprise, I guess I just hadn't really thought about it so much before, is just how many live streaming apps and interesting social commerce apps there are out there. And we are super active on all of them um, because it's like what you were saying about you know, you got to kind of just try A-B testing. I think of that for channels. Like I'll, I'll, it's the same idea, same concept, but I will essentially A-B test four different live streaming platforms and see which one is the best for us, for what we have and for our products, like which one gives us the most traction, has the right customers. So it helps me focus where do we want to spend our time, you know? But you got to try them because it's not always obvious from the get-go, um, and they have and, and they have different formats, and you have to play around, and you have to be willing to listen and to tweak and to hear the feedback. And sometimes it's the show isn't exciting enough. Sometimes it's the format is off. It should be shorter. It should be longer. It should be you know, 
and you just have to take all that and and be willing to like learn on the fly and adjust and then if it's not working even after you've made those tweaks then you got to scrap it also because i do feel like sometimes people hang on to things thinking okay if i just try a little harder it's going to work this time and sometimes it's just it just doesn't and that's okay there's other stuff you know what i mean you don't have to do facebook ads like there's other things out there yeah that's like the the person that has a loss leader and they're making their their sales are going so well in the loss leader well i'm going to sell everything at a loss oh, i'm going to have yeah, more sales right, <laughs> right. It's um, like, hmm. yeah i I'm, I'm really interested in the social selling so the live stream it's kind of like qvc right but impromptu qvc but you still have to get people to watch it right so tell us just could just give us the ten thousand foot view of how yeah. how that looks so they're different platforms. So some of them are a more modern QVC, like Talk Shop Live, where there are essentially scheduled shows always on. So if you went onto your browser, it's a web-based platform. It's not an app. They have an app, but it's really not for that. If you were to go now on a Talk Shop Live, you might see, you know, Bo Derek talking about her dog shampoo, or you know, just, there's a lot of celebrities on there. Um, but it is a very QVC type format. And so you kind of have to be very educational. And a lot of the shows are founders, you know, talking about their products. Um, there are other platforms. We're on Shop Shops. We're on one called Shop Lit for a while that then pivoted. Um, we're on one now called Market Live, of course, Amazon Live. Um, and those platforms are a little different. There's also one called Flip. That's more influencer based. So in that case, like, they don't want to see me, you know, they're like much younger, much, and it's all app based. They don't have a, you know, a, a, a web based, you know, site. So it's like, you really, it's a different experience. And in that case, you know, you, you have to find influencers who are willing to do it and talk about it and and basically do product reviews and whatnot. Um, so you just have to familiarize yourself with the formats and see, like I said, it's just different what you're comfortable with also. Not everybody wants to be on camera. I mean, I don't like being on camera, but I do it anyway just because you have to, I feel like. And I don't. I also don't care anymore. I'm too old to care. I just, you know what I'm saying? Like you get to a point where you're like, okay, whatever. I don't yeah. really care. And you're not old. So oh, I'll just stop you right you. there. Um, all right, so this is not – like when I think of live streaming, I think of something like StreamYard or something where you're on LinkedIn and you're streaming something. Well, these are you, platforms that are like a marketplace that give yeah. you an opportunity to sell at a certain time. Yeah, there's still live shows. So yeah, you, no. you're doing a live show through their platform. Now, we do do social stream, you know, live streaming on mm -hmm. IG Live, YouTube Live, Facebook Live. We do that too. But those are on our own channels. Yep. These are designed purely for people like QVC was. If you're sitting at home and you just want to see, like, what can I buy today? What's interesting? I mean, these are blatant shopping platforms, right? There's no, there's no pretending to be entertainment with a little shopping ad in there. No, these are shopping platforms. So the good thing is if you're getting sales from there, it's like people are going on there to buy stuff and find things and discover and and that's kind of cool, but it's it's a very different experience than just live streaming on an IG Live. What I do on those, like an IG Live or Facebook Live, it's more like 
interviewing other founders or like you and I could have a conversation and it's more, you know, and then because people then can ask questions and it's um, it's a little bit more like um, loose, I'd say, and not as product centric. It's 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 a bit more storytelling. You know, you're you're talking about different topics. I mean, I just did one the other day with another founder who's in the Conscious Beauty Collective. Her name's Elaine Morrison. She is a collagen product. She's amazing. And we did a whole thing around what we called midlife mastery. Like, what are the hacks to help you live a better life in your 50s and beyond? Like, at, you know, whether it's being active or what you're eating or what your what supplements you're taking or your sleep. I mean, all these things, you know, for any of us who are there, you know that, you know, it starts to catch up to you a little bit. And if you don't get a good night's sleep, oh my God, you know, it's like, you just have to kind of, you have to do things that you didn't do when you were younger. Yeah. I learned about five years ago that I thought I could sleep six hours a night and, but I was sick a lot. And now I sleep eight to nine and I'm not embarrassed to say it, but I'm knock on wood. I've been fairly healthy for quite a long time, um, and sleep repairs a lot of things. So I can't say much. I can't okay, say more about it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Now I, I, I'm with you. I like the eight or nine hours, and I think, yeah, I think sometimes, especially entrepreneurs, think I don't have time for sleep. You know, like I'll just, I'll just get by on fumes because it's. But then you actually perform worse. Like there's, it's just interesting. I will say I go to bed a lot thinking about that cup of coffee in the morning, though. That's my <laughs> creative time is right away in the morning. Um, so uh, if, if you were to say um, the future of CPG, what, what, what do you think that would be right now? You know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like my, my last couple years in advertising, so around 2017, 2018, there's a lot of talk about, like, CPG is dead. And... The, the funny thing is when I started out in advertising, the premier account to work on of everything was considered to be P&G. If you could work on P&G, that was like golden. Like then you were sort of anointed because you'd been trained by the marketing experts. And I did. I was lucky enough early in my career to do that. And it did help me get other jobs and move me forward. Now people would laugh at that. Right? Like, that would be a joke. Like, you got to be kidding. P&G, like, that's considered to be good marketing. What about Tesla? What about, you know, something cool? So I think, um, anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. But the future of CPG, I think, you know, is going to have to modernize and embrace technology, embrace these things like live streaming, social selling, um, converge the virtual and physical worlds. There's still mo so much interesting stuff to do. I mean, I, I remember when Q, Q, um, QR codes were really like kind of lame and they've had a complete resurgence now, right? With COVID and menus and whatnot. And now it's like, here, I'm looking at my vitamin water. There we go. But like, there are going to be more solutions. I think like that, where you can get a physical product, and have a, a, a virtual experience. Um, and then I think brands, CPG needs to be omnichannel. I think it's really hard for CPG brands to just say, I'm only going to be in grocery, or I'm only going to be in mass, or I'm only going to be on Amazon, or because I just think the consumer doesn't operate that way at all. 
So you have to be, I think, a much, much more holistic thinker than, you know, and, and again, I'm going back to the way I think a lot of these rules that were imposed on CPG were um, in place and people felt they couldn't challenge them. And I'll give you an example in hair care. When I used to work on Nexus, you were either a salon brand or you weren't. There was no meshing. You couldn't be in mass and be a salon brand. Now, I'm a salon brand. I'm in salons. I'm also on Amazon. I've got my own site. I'm in other e-com sites. I mean, I just think those worlds have completely, the walls have disintegrated. Um, every now and then I'll have, a, I'll have a retailer say, oh, you're on Amazon? Oh, we don't like that. And it's like, are you kidding me? Everyone's on, on Amazon. Like, who isn't on Amazon? Yeah, and I, so Nexus brings me back memories of when I had hair, and uh, they had that coconut-smelling shampoo, and I just loved it. And I think the only reason I used it was I never had a lot of hair, so I can't say that I needed it, but anyways. <laughs> Maybe Nexus actually helps you lose it faster with it all could, the baits and crap in there. It could be, yes. Mm. <laughs> um if you had um, if you had a little nugget or, or good piece of information, I don't want to say advice, but I'll say advice that you could give to somebody that wants to start a new brand. What would what would be the thing that you would tell them? Well, first of all, just be realistic about what you're getting into because it is not easy. Um, even if you think you have a brilliant idea, make sure it's scalable. Okay, I'm going to give you an example here. I met a woman a couple years ago, and she had launched a business. And I, I almost, oh my God, I feel bad because I'm laughing, and I really shouldn't be because this was a, this was her legit business. She launched a business pre-COVID, and it was office capes. Okay. Capes. Yeah. Like you know. Like Superman capes. Like capes, but they were like leather, and they were like premium. And the idea was that a lot of times in the office, you're cold because they have air AC cranking and you don't want to put your coat on. So, and you don't want to have to bring sweaters every day. So what if there were just these office capes that you could wear that were stylish and chic and, and literally I'm, she's describing this idea and I'm literally thinking this is a Seinfeld episode. Like how many people are going to want to buy office capes, even if there are three, because clearly enough people thought it was a good idea that she went and put her own money and started this business. But like, is it, is it scalable is my point. So if you, you could fall in love with something and it could be awesome, but it could be awesome to like three people. And so if you really want a legit business, you got to make sure that there's enough Enough scalability, enough ubiquitousness, is that a word? I don't know, but you know what I mean. Enough, enough, enough appeal to enough people to make it make sense. That's a, that's a great topic. Um, we will, we, I don't want to dive into a lot of it right now, but when somebody brings something to you and you feel as though it is a dead, that's a non-starter, um, but you want to also be... Uh, supportive of their idea you don't want to just say well no nobody's going to wear leather capes at work unless you're working at game of thrones maybe um <laughs> uh it's hard to to i mean you want to say 
that, and especially if they're not an entrepreneur, I can see if they've gone through a bunch of different businesses where, you know, maybe they've done office, uh, those big pointy hats that they wore in the 1700s, like office, right. office, uh, 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 yeah, civil war hats or something. But if, if it's their first venture and they're, maybe they're not going to quit their job, but it's hard to, to be that supportive person while also explaining all the pitfalls in it. It is, but I think that's where I always say to people, just do your homework first. And what that means is don't just talk to your friends and family who might say it's a great idea because they want to be supportive. Talk to people in the industry, talk to people who've worked at competitors, talk to, you know what I mean? Like, Get a, get a more realistic picture of what it is. And then also, like, how competitive is the market that you're going into? Are you the only one? Now, in her case, she's probably the only brand. So maybe you go, that's genius. But then you go, wait a minute. There may, there's, there's a reason there are no other brands, right? So you just have to be honest about that. And then I think once you know, like, okay, no, I really do have a good market, then you have to think through the brand. You have to think through your content strategy. Um you know, you have to be realistic about the budget because I guarantee if you think like, okay, I can launch this brand for $50,000, just triple it, quadruple it. Like things cost so much more than you realize. And you just have to be realistic about that. Cause I can't tell you how many brands fail when it was a great brand, but they just ran out of money. They ran out of runway cause they just didn't anticipate the expenses, because everyone wants something, right? Like you're on Shopify, they take their cut. You know, you have apps to go on Shopify to do a subscription, to do a this, to do a that, to, you know, put your reviews. They all get their chunk, you know, like it, it adds up. So you, you just have to, you have to be really upfront about all that and go into it with your eyes wide open. Yeah, and even getting into a big brand store, they're not going to pay for it until they sell it, and they may not pay you until they sell it. They might not pay you for 90 days even. Correct. Uh, anyways, all right, good. So um, um, as I close out the podcast, I give, a, um, I give you an opportunity to do a shameless plug. <laughs> Lynn, what would you like to plug today? Well, okay, clearly it has to be my, my amazing, clean, premium hair care brand, um, and I would say even more than just my own brand, I will plug the concept of conscious beauty because I think, and again, as a cancer survivor, but I was doing this even pre-cancer, but it is so important to be using products that are good for you and good for the environment. And when you're supporting brands that are not, it's just feeding this, um, machine of bad. Okay. So and you don't have to sacrifice um, efficacy or performance. There are so many amazing products across the entire beauty landscape. I'm, I'm talking beauty specifically, but you could probably pick any category, cleaning products, you know, obviously we, you know, probably lots of things in, in food and whatnot, but you don't have to sacrifice. There's so many good options out there. And I think when people start to educate themselves around um, what's actually in the products that they're using, sulfates, parabens, phthalates, they can cause endocrine disruption. They can cause cancer. They can, for guys, shrink your junk. Phthalates, known, researched. You can Google it. So it's like, why would you put your body at risk using that stuff? So that is more, 
and yes, my product fits into that, but it's more of a, a challenge to anyone listening to try to detox your beauty routine. You will feel so much better about it. And also think about your family. You know, a lot of people buy products and then of course their husband uses them. Then my son uses my products. My daughter uses my product. So it's like, it's not just yourself. Yeah. And there's the environment uh, where um, we spend part of our time in Hawaii and reef feast, reef safe screen. uh, Yeah. Sunscreen. (laughs) Get all those words out. Sunscreen is very important. And, and, um, and having it safe for the water is so important. And I know that a lot of beaches now have dispensers where it's free because they want you to use the reef safe sunscreen. I got it out that time. Uh, so, yeah, not only for yourself, but your family and then for the broader environment. Now, there's so many parts of that that are important. Okay, I'm going to give one more shameless plug with for a reef safe sunscreen. I, now I'm having trouble saying it. Reef safe sunscreen called Olita. They were part of Conscious Beauty Collective. It's a mineral-based sunscreen. You can buy it online. It's fantastic. All right. I'm going to get some. Thank you. Um, Olita, and I will put all these sh- uh, notes on the show notes. Cool. Yep. So Lynn, uh, Lynn Power, the CEO, co-founder of Masami. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Brent. It was really fun. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.